0: Thanks for listening to The Rest Is Politics. Sign up to The Rest Is Politics Plus to enjoy ad-free listening, receive a weekly newsletter, join our members chat room, and gain early access to live show tickets. Just go to therestispolitics.com. dot That's therestispolitics.com. dot
1: So, welcome to The Rest Is Politics Emergency Podcast with me, Rory Stewart, and me, Alistair Campbell. You're smiling, Rory. Why are you smiling? Hi because it's it's i wanted to tell listeners it's been a pretty pretty close run thing Alistair wanted to hit the emergency podcast button of course on the football match on saturday ever at <laughs> stan which of course i'm a great expert on but we narrowly missed, missed that. and actually we're hitting it on the parliamentary report on boris johnson um which Alistair, you spent the last hour reading what's your sense of it
0: it's i would say utterly damning i think anything that we expected it to be. It is that and more. It's it's like a I really do recommend to people that they read the whole thing. I think it's like the Trump indictment. It's only if you read the full indictment you get a sense of what he's doing. And of course the way that our media operates, they'll give you the headlines, but it's the detail, it's the relentless detail. It's it's very, 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 very well done, I think. It's um it's quite hard to read without I mean I try to read these things dispassionately. It's no secret I don't like Boris Johnson very much and I I hate what he's done to the country. But it's very hard to read this and think that anything other than the fact that he's absolutely, totally, completely finished. I mean, the misled parliament is, of course, as we know, the sort of parliamentees for lied in the House of Commons. And that phrase comes up again and again, uh, several occasions, repeatedly, contempt of parliament, contempt of the committee. Uh he, His entire character in a sense is taken apart not by them saying this is about his character but you just have a sense of it through the whole thing just just
1: to um again for people who've not following minute by minute um what's happened is that this was an inquiry done by the committee on privileges which is a committee of the house of commons and it's got seven members of whom alberto costa charles Walker. Andy Carter and Bernard Jenkin are conservatives, so four conservatives, got a conservative majority, two Labour members, whom the chair is Harriet Harman, and a Scott Nat, Alan Dorans. And they started their inquiry in July last year, looking at the question of Boris Johnson's statements to Parliament about his behaviour during COVID. And the thing that provoked this was Increasing evidence that seemed to be emerging that Boris Johnson had broken his own COVID regulations by attending parties in 10 Downing Street. And the reason it came to the committee is that he had been asked about this in the House of Commons. And on many occasions, he had denied that he had attended any parties or that any rules had been broken. And as this became more and more implausible, a committee decided to meet on this. And this was separate from another, another investigation led by Sue Gray, a civil servant, who was looking at what had happened in Downing Street. This is really focused on, did Boris Johnson mislead Parliament? And we did a podcast, people interested, on his testimony to the committee a few months ago now. And their conclusion is that not only did he mislead Parliament, he also lied to the committee during that testimony. Back over to you. If
0: you go through the report at the top, so this is the
1: list of uh, occasions and,
0: and, and uh, allegations on which, in their view, he quotes, misled the House, AKA lied. When he said the guidance was followed completely in number 10, that the rules and guidance were followed at all times, that events in number 10 were within the rules and guidance. Uh, Etc. Number two, when he failed to tell the House about his own knowledge of the gatherings where rules or guidance had been broken. Number three, when he said that he relied on repeated assurances that the rules had not been broken. The assurances he received were not accurately represented by him to the House, nor were they appropriate to be cited to the House as an authoritative indication of number 10's compliance. Four, when he gave the impression that there needed to be an investigation by Sue Gray before he could answer questions. If you remember that, the wait for Sue Gray thing was yep, they're essentially yep. saying that he used that to hide from the fact that he didn't know that this stuff had gone on. He was, trying, he was pretending he didn't. Five, when he purported to correct the record, but instead continued to mislead the House, and by his continuing denials... This committee. He keeps saying that he corrected the record at the earliest opportunity when clearly he didn't. It then goes on. He was deliberately disingenuous when he tried to reinterpret the statements to the House to avoid their plain meaning and re- reframe the clear impression that he intended to give, namely when he advanced unsustainable interpretations of the rules and guidance, and when he advanced legally impermissible reasons to justify the gatherings. In other words, he was aware of, of the rules, he was aware of the guidance, he was aware that they were that they were broken, and he then tried to lie about not just yep. the fact
1: of them, but what they actually meant. And it goes on page after yep. page after page. So, so, after so page. Just, to, just to kind of sum it up, what they seem to be saying is that – He knew perfectly well what the rules were, not least because he frequently was to be found standing at a podium in Downing Street telling the public what the rules were. He had been warned by people in number 10 that what he was doing in number 10 wasn't in accordance with the rules. And that what he was saying was not necessarily accurate. And he proceeded to attend those parties nonetheless. And furthermore, one of the other things that's come out, which really, I mean, certainly more than circumstantially, I would think, reinforces the sense of the lying is the number of bits of evidence coming from members of his staff that they were very very guilty about it. So mm. very unfairly his press secretary Allegra Stratton ended up carrying the can because she was caught doing a mock speech from a podium where somebody teased her in a question about how could she possibly justify parties taking place at Downing Street during the lockdown and she basically said uh, I don't really know what to do with that and people and she resigned over that okay. then Sam Coates from Sky has pointed out extraordinary testimony, which has come in, written at uh, evidence submission, 7th February, 2023. Um, I was the, and then there are huge black lines when you look through this evidence. But anyway, he was in this office, which had the press office and a vestibule connecting all three. This was the place of meeting where Wine Time Fridays took place. They were (laughs) calendared weekly events in our Outlook Diaries starting at 4 p.m where press officers would gather on Fridays to have drinks. During the pandemic, Number 10, despite setting the rules of the country, was slow to enforce any rules in the building. The press office wine time Fridays continued throughout. Social distancing was not enforced. Mask wearing was not enforced. I once inquired to Da 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 in March 2020 whether we should be wearing masks and was told that the science advice there was no point. And that very little had very little effect on the spread of COVID. This was all part of a wider culture of not adhering to any rules. Number ten mm. was like an island oasis of normality. Operational notes were sent out from the security teams to be mindful of the cameras outside the door, not to go out in groups and to social distance. It was all a pantomime. Yeah. And the the
0: the, the, the thing in the report that if you when you just sort of see it, and the thing about these reports, then um, This this one actually is quite well written, I think. it's uh, Often these reports are quite hard to sort of penetrate. In light of Mr. Johnson's conduct in committing a further contempt on 9th of June 2023, this is his reaction the other day when he resigned from Parliament, attacked the
1: inquiry as a kangaroo court. And also the fact that they had, as a courtesy, shown him a copy of this report in advance. In confidence, confidence. and it says in confidence, and
0: it also said in their communications with him that, as you know, any breach of that confidence is itself a contempt of Parliament. So they go on, in light of Mr Johnson's conduct in committing this further contempt, the committee considers that if Mr Johnson were still a member... He should be suspended from the House for 90 days. Uh, they say he has A, deliberately misled the House, B, deliberately misled the committee, C, breached confidence, D, impugned the committee and thereby undermined the democratic process of the House, E, being complicit in the campaign of abuse and attempted in- intimidation of the committee. And then, hilariously... You sort of think, and therefore he should go to jail for about 15 years. It then says, we recommend that he should not be entitled to a former member's pass. (laughs) <laughs> so, when the House of Commons votes on Monday, uh, I said, now no, I'm, I'm joking there because the punishment for this is, I think, the end of his political career, um, and also hopefully the opprobrium that he's long deserved will now be directed towards him. Um, but the the I suspect that that we recommend he should not be entitled to former members' pass. I think John Burko
1: had the same. The same punishment. Yeah, that, that's not not a, not a crushing past. I haven't actually myself even bothered to pick up my former member's past, and I I left the House of Commons in twenty nineteen. So that may not yeah. be the greatest punishment. The world. Um Can I come in for a second and just give a little? I think you know we can set a little context on on this from both sides, and one of them is I was the chair of a House of Commons committee, and I served on another House of Commons committee for four years before that. So I was a big backbench committee person, and you, I think were actually the subject of committee reports so we're able to talk about this from different from angles both ends. Yeah. yeah so let me start from my end first um first thing i think to understand is that this is these things are very very lengthy done in, and and in this particular one was done unbelievably carefully and seriously they've been at it since july last year they took advice from a former law lord i was very struck when they were cross questioning boris johnson that actually they were much more skillful in their forensic questioning than is often the case with parliamentary committees. Alberto Costa, who's one of the conservative members, uh, was a lawyer. I think Harriet Harman was a lawyer too. So maybe that was part part of what helped them there. They have set up very, very clear guidance on what an appropriate way to behave was. More than actually committees are obliged to in this case, they really did go out of their way to try to make sure that he saw evidence, that he was given notice, that he was given opportunities to give Written evidence, and he came in quite lawyered up in a way that you don't normally go into a committee. Normally, when we're asking people to testify, we expect them to turn up, particularly a fellow member of parliament, in a straightforward fashion. You know, I testified in any number of committees as a member of parliament and a minister, and I certainly never would have thought that I was going to bring a lawyer. But anyway, he brought in very expensive lawyers, Mm. a man called Lord Panic, which I always thought was a slightly uh, terrifying name for the man who's meant to be (laughs) supporting you in a crisis. And they will have also had clerks working on this. So what will have happened is very careful drafting, very careful gathering of evidence, lots of appendixes brought together by the House of Commons clerks. And then it will have been reviewed a number of times by the committee until the whole committee, till the whole committee was comfortable with the way in which it's come out. Now, on the other hand, I think you sometimes have felt as the person receiving end of this, um, and this is sort of pushing my luck a bit, but were there times when you were subject to these committees that you sometimes did think that you can see Boris Johnson's point that you didn't think they were always fair and that you sometimes thought these committees maybe didn't behave with all the judicial objectivity that you might expect? Well, there's the, the sort of various times that I've given evidence to committees, but I think the,
0: the two that I guess came closest to me feeling that they were essentially aimed at me, one was a public... Uh, Public Administration Committee, I don't know if that exists still, whether it's called something different, but the Select Committee on Public Administration did an inquiry into the changes that I was trying to make to government communication, and because of the sort of obsession that the media had with our so-called spin culture – etc there was sort of it was huge in the media at the time and they 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 had lots of people on there that they tried to get to say sort of how terrible i was and blah 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 i found that when i went to the inquiry to give evidence over several hours myself um i didn't find it that difficult to be honest to Because of the way, as you know, the way the committee was, the chair sort of sitting there and bringing in people and giving them limited time and so forth. And I felt they all just bounced around. I didn't think they had a kind of coherent strategy. what they were trying to do. Whereas I agree with you. I think that with the with with this investigation into Johnson, I I got the feeling, we both said at the time that the questioning was better than it is often the case. But I did feel, Roderick Morgan was the chair, the former Welsh First Minister, went on to be the Welsh First Minister. He was the chair of the committee into me. And it was, I felt at least half a dozen of them were basically slightly grandstanding, coming up with their sort of pre-prepared line of attack, and but ultimately, when the report came out, it was fine. Uh, I felt actually that they'd sort of, you know, pretty much got to the point. They had a few points that I agreed with, a few that I didn't, but it, it, I didn't feel terribly unfair. And likewise, the other occasions on which I've been, particularly in relation to the build-up to the war in Iraq, I felt it was a combination of serious people who were trying to get to the serious points, and a few who were just, frankly, grandstanding. But I think what you've seen with this, I do, I completely agree with you. And I think, Harriet, I suspect Harriet Harman has been a, a very good. Um, chair sure. a very good chair although i've got to tell you Roy, just literally just as you were speaking there i got a, i got a little rash of text messages uh i'll just read you one it says uh reese mogg just name checked you on the world at one he was asked about why they were questioning Harriet harman as the chair and he said Harriet harman retweeted alistair campbell and he says very
1: aggressive things There we are. Well, that's (laughs) enough, isn't it? That's enough. That's enough to take you down. Um, so I think that brings us quite neatly to the other theme here, which is the fight back from the Boris Johnson supporters. So there's been an extraordinary flurry of, um, would be Baroness Nadine Doris, Sir James Dudderidge, Sir Jacob rees Mogg, Sir Michael Fabricant, Lord Stuart Jackson, all coming out uh, in defense of Boris Johnson. Was there was there anything they had in common, those people you just it's very listed? Very strange. I'm trying They're to very, work it out. Very strange. I, I don't know why I keep saying sir and lord in such a sort of strong way whenever I mention <laughs> that. But no, indeed, these are all people, and some of them not very senior MPs, who rather surprisingly Boris Johnson gave peerages to, or knighthoods to, who are now passionately out there defending him and saying that the whole thing is a kangaroo court. and. One of the things that, of course, is most disgusting, i mean, there are many things disgusting about this, but one thing I think, which is a theme that we'll hear again and again, and we've got to challenge again and again, is the idea that somehow Boris Johnson is unbelievably popular with the people. He has this incredible mandate from, the implication is, the majority of the British people, and that therefore it's undemocratic for elected members of parliament to in any way impede or criticize him. And this is a mad idea. Firstly, mad constitutionally, Mm. because Britain doesn't live in a presidential system. Boris Johnson was not elected as an individual. He was only elected in his constituency of Uxbridge. So he's equal with all these other MPs who are elected in their own constituencies. His party won an election in 2019, but not him as an individual. But the second thing is that actually, if you look at the public opinion polling, he's astonishingly unpopular with the public so there's a, a very, very good Ipsos Mori thing that's just come out, looking at net satisfaction with prime ministers 79 to 23. Boris Johnson is astonishingly less popular most of the time than Theresa May. And if you compare him to Tony Blair, I mean, there's just no comparison. If you compare it even to to John Major or Mrs. Thatcher towards the end of their time, no comparison. I mean, in historical terms, he was an extraordinarily unpopular MP, barely got there with most of the population. And most of the polling evidence is pretty clear that the 2019 election was won because of promises on Brexit, get Brexit done, and because of the unpopularity of Jeremy Corbyn. But the idea that this man somehow has some magnificent personal mandate that allows him to ignore the House of Commons, the courts, all kinds of constitutional checks is just populism 101.
0: I'd love love for him just to take a walk down a high street – and and see what happened i mean the only time he seems to go in the public is when there's a camera there to to take a picture of him running for about 20 yards and then he goes back inside i tell you the other thing we've so yesterday we should tell our listeners that we spent a very enjoyable uh, morning talking to the, the aforementioned former prime minister john major and we'll be putting he, he was incredibly generous with his time and we're, we're actually going to do two episodes of leading over the next week or two and I don't know if you remember this, but he said well, you you were trying to get him to sort of say some very disobliging things about. About Boris Johnson, and because I, I know I, that he really despises Boris yes, Johnson. Yes, I know, yeah, I know, but so do I. But I just thought his, I thought his put down was absolutely marvelous because he basically just said, "I really think we should stop talking about him." Um, and I, but the the sort of contempt was clear. But I think what's what's it was very interesting to me. I, I was sort of mentioned to a couple of, couple of people in the swimming pool today that you know we've been speaking to him and, and what have you and whatever you say about somebody like Major, I would say the same about Thatcher, and of course I would say the same about the Labour Prime Ministers that I work for, and you I know would say the same about Theresa May, and I think you'd be right, is that there was a a commitment to the job being about a genuine sense of public service. And when when we were talking to John Major, you really got the sense of talking to somebody who even now is offended by, by the idea that politicians should make politics anything other than actual a noble calling. And what you're seeing with Johnson now is utter narcissism. He now doesn't care. In fact, I'll go further. I think he now actively wants Rishi Sunak to lose the next election because that then will play into this narrative. And the other point that John Major said, we talk about, he, he, he talked about the false narratives that develop in politics and you of course have just mentioned one Boris Johnson's very very popular in the red wall he might have been on a given day for the referendum and for the election but given that he's broken every promise he made he's not popular as you say anymore and yet i did a very quick look around the headlines of the of all the kind of main newspapers of how they're covering this report the the mail the express and the sun are all nosing it, leading their coverage on Boris Johnson's reaction and the threat to Rishi Sunak, uh, including the Express's case that they're going to, the threat that the local Tory parties will deselect MPs who vote to support the Privileges Committee report
1: on Monday. It's utterly delusional. Totally mad, isn't it? And and one of the most striking things produced by James Johnson and his polling is that Boris was less popular than Theresa May, Boris Johnson, even during the 2019 campaign. So even at the moment of that election, he was less popular than Theresa May, consistently less popular. And Theresa May wasn't exactly the most popular prime minister ever. And the reason, of course, that they're doing this is that it's a basic attempt, again, to turn the Conservative Party into Trump's Republican Party. All these people are doing in all their arguments, is pretending Totally, US president leading in the polls in the Republican Party, who's being attacked by the courts. It's quite funny as well that in his um,
0: – you did a very good analysis of his of his 800-word telegraph column that he wrote the other day in response to the when he received the report. He's done a slightly longer version today, and he actually can't he, – he, whether this was deliberate or not, I don't know. Again, it looks like he's just been sort of tossed off over a rather drunken lunch, which is how he used to do most of his columns in the past. But he does actually say – he does talk about trumped-up charges, so it's almost as if he's perhaps psychologically realises that he's gone full Trump. I'll tell you the other thing, Roy. The other thing you will know from these reports, both having written them and read them, is that sometimes you get the most interesting stuff in footnotes. Can I read you my favorite footnote? Because, again, it exposes Johnson's utter hypocrisy and venality, including in relation to another issue. It says, We note that Mr. Johnson has recently undertaken to supply the COVID public inquiry with a large number of his personal WhatsApp messages. This contrasts with his highly restrictive release of such messages to us. If it transpires from examination of the WhatsApp messages supplied to the COVID inquiry, that there was relevant material which should have been disclosed to us either by Mr. Johnson or the Cabinet Office, this would be a serious matter which the
1: House might need to revisit. That is my footnote of the day. Yeah, and I think, I mean, if I can just finish on a couple of kind of slightly pompous points. One is that this matters because his shambolic mendacious behaviour was one of the reasons that Britain has been poorly governed. He was not a good prime minister. And although he got the vaccine rollout quickly, he did not respond well to Covid. He had a very, very bizarre oscillation between being too late to lockdown because obviously he he had some he doesn't like people telling him what to do then being too late to open up again, then locking down sporadically, opening up sporadically. It was a shambolic approach, particularly in in, in March of, of 2020 to COVID, which and, and I hope the COVID inquiry is going to get beyond the personality of Boris Johnson to look at all the things within government that went wrong. And the second thing I think is just reinforcing the fundamental sense that we live in a parliamentary democracy and we need to take our constitution seriously. And that means that members of parliament – are equally democratically elected. There are 650 of them. And they have more of a democratic mandate than any individual. And they certainly have more of a democratic mandate than the Conservative Party, where your only eligibility criteria is your willingness to pay 25 quid to join the party. So actually, this goes to the heart of how Boris Johnson was selected, which was a Daily Express, Daily Mayor whipped up moves through a Conservative Party electorate, members electorate, which corresponded to about 0.3% of the general population, instead of allowing the MPs who knew him best, had worked with him best, and who were all individually democratically elected, to make the decision. And that's why we should be respecting Parliament and respecting the Parliamentary Committee. Mm. But for that to happen, and for the respect to be rebuilt for Parliament.
0: Again, to go back to our conversation with John Major, he said that he was ultimately optimistic that this sort of poison in our politics could be reversed and that we could get to a better place. But I do think Rishi Sunak needs to do more than he's done so far. I think he's made a terrible mistake in allowing these honours to go forward. You now have a situation where a man... Who is no longer allowed to go into Parliament, into the buildings of Parliament without going through security because he's having his pass withdrawn. He is sending to the House of Lords to be in our legislature for the rest of their lives, people in their 20s who've done absolutely nothing but be bag carriers and sycophants to Boris Johnson. Likewise, every living Prime Minister, and I think it's absurd that List Trust is going to get the same, every living Prime Minister gets an allowance for the rest of their lives that is about dealing with the consequences of having been Prime Minister. I think if you leave in disgrace, you should not be allowed that either. The, the next thing, are we seriously going to have to see Boris Johnson at every single Remembrance Day ceremony reminding us of who and what he is and the damage that he has done. So I think Rishi Sunak, actually, if he really wants to signal that he's different and it's about professionalism, integrity, accountability, he should block these honours. He should not allow those allowances to be played. He should not let this trust send anybody to the House of Lords or, frankly, do anything with an honours list. And what's more, it should be made clear that there is genuine opprobrium towards this guy because otherwise – We'll be back with this. This is a, this is where I agree with you that this is incredibly serious and important. It is this is this committee report is a really important fight back against post truth politics, and that fight now has to be maintained. And to my mind, that means Boris Johnson should not have any input into our public life ever again.
1: And I, I guess the only thing that, when we've had these conversations in the past about Rishi Sunak, that is worth remembering is that he. Whether we like it or not, and this is actually one of the problems, is dealing with trying to control the right wing of the party. Trying dealing with trying to control the rump of people who remain part of a fanatical Boris Johnson cult. Trying to control a, a stranger uh, Liz Truss uh, quasonomics cult. Trying to control a unrealistic Brexit cult. Trying to steer moderate and thoughtful policies through while controlling a party, which by some miracle he's holding together, but which I remember saying to you in the last days of Boris Johnson, this trust didn't feel like one party at all, but something fragmented into Mm. seven or eight completely different warring groups. So this, this is, um, you know, he is, I think the reason probably why he's failing to satisfy you is that what's happening is that he's going halfway. So he, I'm sure it was him who blocked Nadine Doris getting into the House of Lords. And I'm very pleased he did. But what he's doing is he's compromising all the time. He's having to balance mm. these different factions. And I guess mm. that's probably something which you, I think, were pointing to when we were interviewing John Major, which is that one of the things that makes parties weak towards the end of their 10 years is this sense that you're dealing with different factions. And that's something that Labour presumably is going to try to exploit hard mm. going into the next election. Well, what, I
0: mean, John Major sort of made the point that there came a point where, it was almost, it, it felt as if he was talking about something that was becoming ungovernable. And I wonder if that's what's happening. I, I mean, I'd love to know. I don't really know Rishi Sunak, but I'd love to know how he's feeling internally about what he's actually confronting now. Because the thing about Boris Johnson, the one thing we know about him, I and mean, Mrs. Thatcher wasn't terribly nice to John Major after, she, after she'd gone, but nothing like the sort of operation that Johnson's trying to get up against uh, against Rishi Sunak.
1: Now, to, to, to move on then, just to end, I want to f- finish with a... A passionate tribute to my great hero Glenda Jackson, who just died today. So Glenda Jackson w- was an MP, which is why we're sneaking her into the rest of this politics. She was your MP for a bit; you knew her well. But she's most famous for being the most extraordinary actress. I mean, she defined the British theatre of the nineteen sixties. A lot of film history in the nineteen seventies. She was in Peter Brook's Marasard, this great kind of groundbreaking work in the nineteen sixties. Acted for Peter Hall. Played Ophelia for Trevor Nunn at the Royal Shakespeare Company, and then actually played King Lear again, having left Parliament um in, in her 80s. So I, I want to um I, I want to just finish with a huge tribute to her. And I I I loved seeing her in the House of Commons. I mean, she's obviously a real old lefty, well to the left of you guys. Um uh but there was something absolutely magical about her. And I I just wonder whether you had any Thoughts on how you balance some of your differences with her, your views of her as an MP as well as an actor. We talked um, on the Q and A about this notion of professional
0: politicians and people who've been in other walks of life. And the thing that I found really fascinating about Glenda Jackson is that her her entire persona, as well as her image as an actress and as a politician, were were completely different. Now she was the same person. And I'm sure that when she was an actress, she was passionate about left-wing causes and her political beliefs and so forth, but she was an actress. And then when she became a politician, perhaps it was deliberate, I don't know, but she she projected herself, I think, in a very, very different way. Um, and I, look, I think she was – I think she actually found the transition quite difficult. Um, I think she became – an MP, she became a minister. I think she was a minister in Tony Blair's first job. Yep, she was, and then, for and then a resigned because she
1: disapproved of you guys, didn't she?
0: Well, no, I think I think actually she was sacked, to be truthful. Okay. Uh, I think that she she wasn't um she I don't think she was a terribly effective minister. I think she found that side of life quite difficult. I remember uh literally she did she did have some criticisms, but I I I think this is in my diaries. I remember a reshuffle where Tony had called red and said, "Look, he was he was making some changes, and he'd be essentially he'd he'd need her to vacate her position." And she, I think she was absolutely stunned. I mean, really stunned. I, d- I think she was genuinely shocked that he hadn't thought that she was a really good minister. Now, sometimes these judgments are subjective, and sometimes they're based upon advice from the whips or from civil servants or whatever it might be. But and then she, I guess, did become quite a critic but i never felt she was uh you know we used to see her around all the time because as you say she was our local mp and she was always perfectly friendly but i found i I, I do sense and look people know her far better than i do would know better than this better than i on this but i sometimes felt that she she found the whole sort of it's, it's interesting this given that her professionally as it were she was a performer i think she found the performative side of politics quite a
1: struggle well, it's all isn't it? And it may be the House of Commons. I mean, I was watching her um, deliver a, a, just today, rewatching it. Her something that I saw in the House of Commons, which was her attack on Margaret Thatcher, and people are jeering and catcalling from the Conservative benches when she's speaking. And it is interesting, given that she was the most astonishing, mesmerising stage performer. She does seem strangely unsettled by the catcalls. Um, And it makes one wonder whether actually the personality type required isn't more like a stand-up comedian than somebody who's a highly respected RSC actor, that that she couldn't quite modulate her voice and respond to the chaos around her. I guarantee that in all
0: of the television obituaries tonight, there is one clip that will be played. And this is when she appeared as a special guest on Morecambe and Wise, when actually her comic timing and her <laughs> was, was was absolutely superb. I guess she will be remembered in the main as an actress, won't she? I think that, not least because that was a,
1: she was, she was recognised globally on that front. Well, I think it's wonderful that she became a member of Parliament. I think yeah. it really is wonderful. And, and actually, yeah. it, I mean, John Major was talking about this, but in a way Parliament does take reflected glory from having within it People who are real stars in their own professions and having somebody of that stature, you know, in the 60s and 70s, probably the greatest actor in Britain Mm. in the House of Commons. I mean, not a Ronald Reagan type, not a bedtime for Bonzo, here I am with the chimps type, but a a genuinely serious, uh, groundbreaking actor was was extraordinary.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for – I actually didn't didn't know she died until you sent me a message saying we should – We should pay tribute on the podcast. I'm glad that we've done that. Uh, And I'm glad too that Boris Johnson's political career, so far as I can work out, is absolutely at an end other than these ridiculous people going on to the world at one to say that Harriet Harman retweeting Alistair Campbell is now a political sin. All of whom with knighthoods from Boris Johnson.
1: And on that, time to end. All the best. Bye-bye.